Hello and welcome back uh, to this is our first of our series of a minisodes. What the hell is a minisode really? I don't know. It sounds like a ridiculous fucking term to me. Minisode. Yeah. Sounds How about maxi sode? Maxi sode. Maximum content, minimum amount of soda. Yeah. It's essentially at least another rant by Vikal Christiansen and Emmett Lewis about handstands. Here we are. Yeah. That's cool. this, uh, this minisode, we're going to be uh, dealing with some of your questions. So we have a very advanced system of sending questions over ourselves where they are arriving by carrier pigeon and definitely not SMS. Definitely not SMS. No, but be- best way if you want us, like for later episodes like this, if you want to have your questions uh, discussed with, uh, between me and Emmett, then either message us things on social media that you want us to speak about or just wrap a piece of paper around a brick and throw it in our on one of our respective windows so yeah very tempting let us know it's also uh you can use the contact form on the handstand factory website and just use the title podcast questions uh yeah so it's one of these things uh, questions are always an interesting thing I kind of made a bit of a joke towards the end of the last episodes that if your question is good, we will read it out. If your question is bad, we'll read it out with your name attached. We're not going to be that mean if your question's bad. We're just going to tear it to pieces and crush your soul. Indeed. Yeah. So, so let's see. Shall we get to our first question that I'm totally just pulling out of here? This one's definitely... Yeah, I'm going to start with this one, just to show the level of questions we got. It's kind of so, degenerate. Yeah, it's a degenerate question. Uh, so this degenerate wants to know, Mikael, can you pee in a handstand without getting it in your mouth? If so, what shape is best? Uh, well, so I've never tried to pee in a handstand. I've drunk beer in a handstand. That's no problem. Uh, you just do head through and someone pour into your mouth. It's kind of miserable, but it works. Peeing, however, I think you would end up uh, in a rather uh, sad and wet state unless you do it in the Mexican. Uh, I guess a Mexican it would be the preferred. Depends on how you arch it. Like if you do a Mexican and it arcs the right direction, but it could just dribble down your chest and like roll yeah, straight Yeah, I, I, your I face. need you to have to whip it like the other way. Uh, at least as a guy, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how this would work out as a girl, uh, but. Um, in, in a, like, I mean, a proper enough Mexican, you should be able to get it to go the other way, I think. If, you're yeah, de- if, you're if Mex- you have a deep enough Mexican. If your Mexican is south, definitely south of the border. Yeah. Mine isn't even like... As, as are you in Texas about, or yeah. are you in Mexico? I mean, mine is still in Toronto, so <laughs> I'm not going to try to... I mean, I don't do Mexican. I'd say planche would be superior for peeing. Def- okay, yeah, yeah definitely. Planche, planche is probably the best one. Now, being strong enough to actually finish peeing, you need a pretty damn good planche. Yeah, I think it's like, what's that thing they say? It takes 21 seconds to empty your bladder for most kind of mammals. Yeah, then, it's full. then you have a se- serious, above average, solid planche if you can yeah. pee in it for 21 seconds. 21 I mean, seconds. But I'll, I'll leave that challenge to any one of you out there because I'm not going to planche for that long. Uh, nor trying to pee in one, but hey. I suppose you could one arm though. You could just like oh yeah, aim you can it hold away. it right. Yeah, yeah. That, that that would work. That would probably work. It would still probably end up miserable and. But like, yeah, could I'm you not the, can do it? The hard bit, I suppose, is like if you're trying to tap the drips off. Mm. But yeah, you're, you're gonna, gonna piss yourself in the face. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna piss on your chest and piss everywhere. So like, it's, hey, uh, yeah. It's for, one of those ones. Like, how does it work for women as well? Like, you know, men have the we have the kind of hose attachment that kind of gives a bit of aim. <laughs> but for girls, how would that happen? Yeah, 
can see Eliza, our producer, is down, yeah, turning guess, slightly guess you, red. Guess you, like, at, least, at, least, at least as a woman, I would assume you'd have to, to push a lot harder to make the stream go further away from you. But I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's no, why. I mean, it's, it, I don't think it's a great idea regardless. I think, I think we're yeah. moving on, basically. So Maybe that's why everyone talks about, like, use your core in a handstand. Yeah, it's, it's just like, in case this situation pops up. Exactly. So, well, so. Uh, suffer. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. You get to ask one now. So, uh, yeah, how are the workout workouts divided up in the press program? Program, please. So, yeah, the press program. I think it's interesting. The press program we cover. We cover three main components in it, I suppose, where we have split the Stalder press up into two sections, which we talk about. We're going to talk about in one of our other podcasts in a bit more depth where we have high pressing, which is pressing from feet and hands on basically the same plane up to a straddle handstand and low pressing, which is pressing from a straddle L sit or an L sit to the point where your feet cross your hands. And then we also have flexibility. So in this, our own belief on this is that you can basically start working on things that will lead to the stalder at the same time, regardless of your level, even if you come as a complete beginner. Uh, we've put it in that you have a selection of workouts that you'll be able to find an appropriate level for you on flexibility, press, uh, high press and low press. And then you have a few options. You can combine them together into one big workout. Mm. Find it takes about an hour to do that workout with all three components. Or you can spread them throughout the week where it's like, okay, I'll work on high press Tuesday and Thursday and I'll work low press Wednesday and Saturday and I'll do my flexibility after leg day. You're doing leg day, right? I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to add on to that. Like, um, so the rationale is basically that, uh, like the lower part of the press, the low press moving then from the straddle L or an L sit position up to the standing position. And then the standing press from a standing into the handstand are two different, uh, components in terms of strength and, um, muscle activation control, etc. So. It makes sense to train those two pieces separately, uh, simply because what you want when you are training, you want to just be able to put the appropriate working volume and intensity onto your body. And uh, when you've done so, then you rest and then you do that again. And hopefully you will have done the appropriate amount and the appropriate uh, level of intensity so that you'll be gaining strength slowly and consistently and building up your press through that. Now, if you're constantly trying to then work a full press, uh, meaning that you work both the low and the high range at once, which is appropriate when you're strong enough and yeah. when you actually have it, but you won't be able to kind of target the ranges as much. So being able to then separate those two things, because one is essentially protraction and depression strength, uh, uh, which is the low pressing. Um, which where you will need a tuck planche, you will need kind of that type of power loads like kind of in front of your shoulder, lats, delts, etc. And then you have the high pressing, which ideally won't be using as much of the, the delts um, and kind of biceps frontal pushing chain and be more kind of upper back related and traps. So yeah, being able to separate do th these yeah. two things is essentially kind of structurally what we're working on. And of course, adding the flexibility into this so that you'll be using less strength over time as you get better. Yeah, yeah so it gives you a good overview. If you're interested, we do have the program online on Handstand Factory where you can basically go from zero to hero, which leads into 
Yeah, I suppose we have it described in the manual actually going thing is the sandwich. You got to make your sandwich with the components you want. So this is uh, how it's kind of arranged. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, I got my three components. So I've got the bread, I got the filling. And then, you know, the filling is the one you would make as a, the main workout you need to focus on. Like if the low press section takes the most energy, you do that first. Then you do your high pressing or vice versa. Or if you're super stiff and really need to warm, you might work the flexibility first as the meat and then put the bread on with the pressing sections. So there's a lot of, uh, it's very customizable, which is what I like about it. Because at the end of the day, despite what some people say, there is no one true way of doing this. You just have to find what works for you. Yeah. That'll be Kind of and like you, like everyone who starts this kind of stuff will come with a yeah. You will come with a different level of various things. You might be a monster at pushing from an L sit and up, and haven't ha don't have a real or like a standing press to handstand. Or it might be the opposite. You might be really stiff and strong. You might be very flexible and have no strength, etc. So this is kind of the rationale and the thought process behind having this. And you might also have a great handstand and very little pressing strength or have no handstand and loads of pressing strength. All these variables exist out there. So uh, this kind of structuring is a is an attempt at being able to tailor to that because like like no one can know everyone's variations because there's just way too many. And this mm. is like yeah. to not try not tangent and run too much on it, but basically I had and I think most coaches that start out teaching handstands early you won't be just able to account for all of these ridiculous amount of variation there is like it took me like five years of teaching until i said hey like I, I need to stop using these cues because like there's just way too many variations and you'll yeah. just meet these people who are just like uh i can't really like like for example cubital varus which is a a um elbow structure uh variation it's not a there's no there's no genetic uh can't be classified as a disorder at all but it's just a variation and like yeah, so if you structure. have the it's a bone structure if you have that you might need to go about things slightly differently and this this is it is what it is it's not something that yeah you can have kind of a one-size-fits-all kind of uh, approach to yeah it's ranges uh do you want to ask the next question uh, yes let's see um is the push harder program a must before working on the press program no, no. I'd say the press program the is kind of a must for working on push harder. Yeah, more like to, a, to a degree at least. At yeah, least the high pressing should be reasonably well developed before it's much of a point of starting yeah. to do a like the start. Like a lot of the prep elements, I suppose you could work from push harder, like the head in, the chin in stuff. They'll cross over to the press, and the press will cross over to them. But no, it's not a. The programs can be taken singly or mixed. Yeah. So like, as for the. Um, uh, so the, the program structure, just to to quickly uh, make a, how to say, um, a recap of them. So you have push, which yeah is basic handstand program leading you from either then not having a handstand into having a handstand and then refining it or having a handstand and then refining that handstand. Uh, templates based on like where you can tailor it to whether or not you're good balancing and you have a lot of the average strength you need. Maybe you lack the flexibility or the opposite. Then you have the press pro, like the, the keep pushing program, which leads then from being able to do a handstand and having a reasonable amount of control and understanding of the alignment and how it works upside down to being able to move your legs, do the tuck handstand, do the straddle handstand, do the various entries, which are kind of the jump entries. Yeah. And if you think about this, how that relates to press, you've learned to jump in a straddle into a handstand. You can hold the straddle handstand, you can hold the tuck handstand, you can jump into a tuck handstand and so on. And you can control your legs up there. That means that you're likely 
to some degree able after learning that you're to some degree able to start learning a negative press for example because you can hold a straddle you yeah. can enter into a jump which or through a jump which then is a like a press with with a jumping component and speed attached to it so that means okay then you're likely able to have a low level of pressing strength which then leads you into the press program press program as, as we just said separated into two parts which mean that like you don't need a lot of low pressing to be able to work on the on the one arm but unless you have a decent degree of of high pressing strength so that at least you're close to holding a pike handstand and so on it's good to have these things before you continue to push harder which then works on the straddle one arm handstand which is kind of the basic foundation level for advanced hand yeah. dancing practice it's kind of push harder is the equivalent of push for one arm practice yeah exactly from zero to hero mm. uh other question we have which is the best stretch for the hip flexors the long lunge or the couch stretch uh it's a false dichotomy because there is no best stretch for your hip flexors there is only the one that targets your own individual restrictions what you will find particularly in this one is if your rectus femoris is tight so one of the quadriceps that will limit hip extension and the couch stretch is best to target that. And then if your rectus femoris isn't the restriction, then the long lunge is good. But generally, I'd actually advise a combination of working both of them at the same time. It would be quite common in a lot of the programs I'd write. We'd be doing something with the knee flexed and then something with the leg straight and the hip in full extension or as close to full extension as you can get. So, yeah, it's once again, it is like, it's also one of those things like it's a, uh, depending on the limit you might feel the stretch work somewhere else but then you'll clear up one of the limitations and then everything else opens up in hip extension so it's one of these things very variable person to person more so than uh, more so than other kind of positions like a forward fold is quite straightforward for most people there's not not that many specific limitations that are outside the norm whereas hip flexors we have uh, i have to remember my anatomy now about 10 different muscles involved in hip flexion if one of them is restricting it, I would feel like all of them are restricting it. So there's a, a lot to play with, but uh, the goal would be to do both. Mm. So uh, one more question that I had here is, uh, how do you deal with rotation uh, in a handstand? That is very, it's a very common question. It's, it's not something that you meet on the kind of beginner to intermediate level of handstands a lot, uh, because you will be largely dealing with a two dimensional plane of backwards and forwards backwards then being like falling towards or or forwards being falling towards the finger side of your hand meaning overbalance and underbalance then being meaning falling towards the heel side of your palm and back to your feet uh, rotation kind of comes into play when you are starting to learn the lateral dimension of handstands which then is that is something that kind of is more on the push harder side of uh, how we've structured it but it's um like rotation is um it's an interesting concept because it's very counterintuitive in terms of what is happening and it's also one that leads into this classic misunderstanding of the midsection side of things so rotation happens like let's say you did now take a one-arm handstand or even just the kind of side shifting towards a one-arm handstand so what will happen for most beginners is that as they start to shift when they're like let's say they're in a straddle handstand and their feet is perfectly on one line in space um, handstand looks reasonably good shoulders are stacked and so on and then they start leaning uh, over to the side and even if they do this with very proper setup where they're able to kind of 
get their hips into kind of a diagonal alignment as we talk about in in push harder where you really want to get kind of this where you will bring the leading leg meaning that if you go on the left arm you will kind of be starting to bring the left leg down a little bit towards the floor not into a deep flag but you're setting up a diagonal there so what happens to most people is that as you do this first of all this perfect line between your feet in space that you have on two arms in your straddle might not transfer so well as you start this movement because like you're moving into new territory you don't know what you're doing the likelihood of these two uh, legs of yours staying exactly on the same plane is unlikely so that you might be starting some sort of rotation from your hip there uh, but the interesting thing is that it's very hard to fix it from the hip because what starts happening when you do this regardless if the twist starts happening from your hip or if it happens from your shoulder, you'll need to fix it from the shoulder. You'll need to basically, as your center of mass starts moving outside of your base of support or this rotation starts happening, you need to be re-establishing your shoulder underneath that, then putting the leg back in place. And the most common thing actually that happens is that like you lean over and like the movement starts, it moves correctly at first, but like there's loads more weight that comes on that arm then. You're not used to being in this area and that destabilizes your shoulder and you won't even yeah. see it, but that little destabilization leads to uh, the shoulder moving slightly, which then like that manifests further up in the chain and that exacerbates as then the legs start to kind of rotate out of shape and like, you'll usually see it by the, the top leg uh, kind of opening in the hip flexor and flying over backwards. Yeah, I find that's a lot of what you're looking at as well is when you shift the weight over, people have a tendency to not push directly into the ground, but they actually start pushing up and back. So they're kind of, maybe it's the increased weight starts recruiting some of the muscles involved in flexion of the shoulder. Mm -hmm. So then it goes from like, it's five millimeters of a difference. Yeah, it's very it's small. Like, but then the shoulder goes from the stacked position and slightly more open. And then it's just, it sets up that chain. It's like the shoulder's more open. There's no one point of contact with the ground, basically. And then the back, if you look at the back, you'll see it begins to arch going in a kind of diagonal from shoulder to opposite hip. Mm. And then it's gone. It's yeah, just it's lost. Over. Yeah, that's the interesting thing that like this rotation, like I usually say that like, uh, it's a bit, it sounds a bit confusing, but like rotation relates to uh, the one arm handstand as arching relates to the two arm handstand. So the arching then being a result of a suboptimal shoulder position where the shoulder sinks a bit more than it needs to and that causes the arch. That is kind of the same that happens. Just when you add this third dimension in space, you, especially in a straddled position, there is very little likelihood that both legs will fall backwards into an arch at the same tempo. What will happen is that the top leg will kind of take over that beginning momentum and then spiral out of control. So main thing you need to know for countering and dealing with this is just like one part is just getting good. You just need to practice a lot, getting strong <laughs> in the area, getting the understanding and awareness and so on. But be very aware that like if you don't have like, and this comes back to the previous question, if you don't have a press, if you have very little control in underbalance uh, and very little control of a solid straddle handstand, like when you start leaning over, like your legs will start spinning and you will have very little uh, understanding of the control. While when you're really good at this, when you have a one arm handstand and you're really stable in this, you can do all kinds of twisted position because you just place the leg there, but the shoulder won't collapse as a result yeah. of it and can just hold. Shoulder placement first, everything else second, including alignment. Indeed. So moving on to our last question. Hmm. Is it our last question? I'll have to check with our producer. Last one. Cool. 
who has a better chance of surviving on a deserted island or desert island deserted desert island Mikhail or Emmett Emmett I think yeah I'm gonna claim that one yeah probably I'll yeah. just like fucking You'll just play Kaizo and then forget to gather food yeah <laughs> I I, I, th- I would probably survive for a while and then I'd get wrecked I think we both would get yeah. wrecked though but uh... I don't think we're like look at our skill sets we're not very practical people mm. yeah exactly <laughs> what I do mean... you do you're gonna stare at the floor all day yeah I yes. am a handstand. And I bend dude. people. How the hell can I be good at surviving? <laughs> yeah, it's not a known discipline for survivors yet. Maybe if there was locals on the island and natives, we could entertain them enough to win some food. Possibly they wouldn't eat us because you look like a skull. And yeah, there's not not that much bones on me, so, or yeah. like meat on me. So um, they could they could eat my traps, though. It's probably very <laughs> nutritious. <laughs> Might be a bit grisly and just a bit too lean. Yeah. No right. leg meat. Yeah. I guess that wraps up our uh, Q&A session for this time. Yeah. As we said, throw a brick through our window with a um, note attached to it with your questions or alternatively do it on social media. Probably slightly easier and cheaper for our, our sake. Yeah. And maybe also for you in case we catch you. Yeah. It's going to cost you. So don't remember or don't, don't remember. Remember or check us out at Handstand Factory on Instagram, Mikhail Balancing, or Emmett Lewis. If you're interested in our programs, you're interested in learning anything, uh, check out handstandfactory.com. Other than that, see you next week. Yeah, thanks.